Please take out your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Revelation, the third chapter. We are going to pick back up. We began looking uh, several weeks ago at uh, the, the churches there in Revelation and then kind of took a break for Christmas and uh, some of those other events, so it's good to get back in. We're going to finish up uh, these three churches, uh, the last three this morning, specifically looking at the church in Sardis and what, what Christ said there to that church about its life, about its faith, uh, and, and in particular, uh, what he still says to us. Because remember, every one of these is for a specific church, but it also says, he who has an ear, let him hear. Anyone who listens, this is for us today to understand how these things, these truths, these, these principles still apply to the life of faith that we've been given to live. So this morning we're going to look at this and, and uh, challenge ourselves with what God's Word says. One of my favorite stories when I was a little kid growing up, one of my favorite books that my mother would often read to me was the story of the little, little engine that could. And, and, you know, that, that wanting to climb the hill, and I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, and, and then getting over the hill, I knew I could, I knew I could. And, and, and that philosophy really began to govern a lot of what I did in my life. I, I believed and, and bought into the idea that I could do anything that I put my mind to. And even if I struggled, that I would, if I kept after it, if I was persistent, that I would be able in my ability to pull off the those things that, that I wanted to do. And that philosophy drew, drove, drove me, <laughs> drove me a lot in what I did and, and how I approached life. But as I've matured in my faith, as I've gotten older, one of the things that I realize is it's not my ability. If I'm doing things only in my ability, I am limiting uh, what God can do and what God wants to do through me for his glory. It's my surrender and, and my remaining in him that enables me truly uh, to be the person that God has called me to be. So this, this church today is a church, the church of Sardis, is a church that had a reputation and yet Jesus tells them, I know who you really are. And, and what we realize is, is it's not external reputation that's going to matter. One of these days, the Bible says that the world is going to be judged. And my reputation is not what's going to be judged. What people thought of me, uh, the, the monuments or the things that I was able to do, the achievements and trophies that I have, those things aren't going to matter. It's not going to matter what I did for Christ. It's going to matter, do I know Christ? And does Jesus Christ know me? Because the Bible tells us there are going to be some of those that Jesus says to them, depart from me because I never knew you. And they're going to say, but wait, we have monuments. We have services and ministries and people and things that we did. And he's going to say, I don't know you. So what matters most today is that I hear the words of Christ. And I answer the question, does Jesus really know me? If you have your Bibles open there to the book of Revelation, the third chapter, if you would please stand with me this morning as we honor the reading of the Word of God. Beginning in verse 1, to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says, I know your works. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Be alert and strengthen what remains which is about to die, for I have not found your works complete before my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. But if you're not alert, I will come like a thief, and you have no idea at what hour I will come against you. 
But you have a few people in Sardis who have not defiled their clothes, and they will walk with me in white because they are worthy. In the same way, the victor will be dressed in white clothes, and I will never erase his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and before his angels. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. You may be seated. May God bless his word this morning as we share it together. If you would, uh, please pray with me. Father, I ask you in these next few moments just to take your words, and I pray, God, that I would share your words. Uh, God, your word is true. Your word is uh, complete and holy. It is inerrant. It is infallible. It is perfect for teaching and correcting and rebuking and training in righteousness so that we can be equipped, complete, thoroughly ready to engage in the work that you've laid before us. So, Father, I pray you speak to us today. Speak even to my heart as you use me. Father, may I be your, your vessel and your instrument today uh, to share your words of truth in a way that, uh, that glorifies and exalts the name of our Son, your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And may he be worshipped and praised in all that we do. And we pray that this morning in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. There's a couple of things that this passage teaches us about where we are and, and challenges us with the thought, the idea of it, that in our faith we are to keep moving forward. And the way I do that, the way I keep pressing, not in my own strength, but in Jesus Christ, is first of all to understand that the head has not changed. If you look in verse 1, Jesus is speaking, red letters, and it says, To the angel in the church of Sardis write, The one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says, I know your works. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Vance Havner, who was a great preacher earlier in this century, uh, often used to say that ministries go through a, uh, spiritual ministries go through an average cycle. And that cycle is this. It starts with a man, it goes to a movement, it becomes a machine, and then it becomes a monument. And basically what he was trying to say is that as we move through life in ministry, what happens is a lot of times leaders, God uses great leaders to inspire us, and people begin to follow the man, and that man becomes a movement. People get behind it, and, and then before long it becomes this machine. It's just this system that churns out the things that it's doing, but what happens to most of us is we begin to put up a monument. We begin to erect this idea of who we were. We begin to point back and say, that's who we were. Look at what we've done. Look at what we've accomplished. And we miss moving forward for God. We don't continue to press forward in everything that we do. Well, the Word of God here is talking about a church that had done that. Sardis had erected their monument. They had a reputation. This is what we've done. This is what we've accomplished. They had erected their monument, and they had gotten lazy. They had gotten content. They had gotten complacent. Jesus says, he comes and says, I know your reputation. You have the reputation of being alive, but you're really not. You're really dead. And what little life you have, I'm about to come and take it away from you because you're not being who I called you to be. And, 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 and he gives them the quick fix. There's an easy fix for making sure that you and I maintain life. And the thing we need to realize is this. Life is not ministries, okay? Now, we, we, can, we can continue to add to ministry after ministry after ministry until we are worn out and we are tired, and that is not evidence of the life of the Spirit of God in this church, okay? Ministries are not evidence of life. Ministries are evidence of activity. 
We can reach people. We could fill this church. We could start having four services every Sunday morning just to get people in here. And that is not evidence of life necessarily. Okay, You can't count life by nickels and noses. It's not money. It's not people. It's not ministry. It's not programs. The evidence of life is real simple. You see, life infused the New Testament church at Pentecost when the Bible said that the Holy Spirit descended and what they were doing became life. Life is not stuff. Life is the presence of the Spirit of God leading us and guiding us and being the head. Notice what Jesus says to him who has the seven spirits. And seven in Scripture is a number of completeness. And so what he's saying is the one who has the complete authority of God in what we're doing. The one who is the complete presence of the Spirit and who has the seven stars. And that word for star is a word that referenced pastors in this day and time. And so what Jesus is saying is, the one who has life, it's, it's not a leader, it's not a person. I can replace the star if I need to. I have the completeness of the stars in my hand, and I have the completeness of the Spirit in my hand. It's you and I deciding that God really is the authority, that He really is the head, that life really comes from Him, and that He is to be the authority uh, of everything that there is about my life. That's what the Bible teaches us. Uh, John wrote in 1 John 5, 11, 12, and 13, he says, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have eternal life. And then verse 13, these things have I written unto you who believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Eh? That's what I have to decide. I have to surrender myself and accept the reality that it's only when my life is totally surrendered, totally making the choice to be under the authority of God Almighty through His Son, Jesus Christ, walking in the Spirit and not grieving the Spirit, that I have life. What's it mean to grieve the Spirit? Well, Paul gives us an answer in Ephesians 4, verse 30 through 32, and this is what he says. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit who sealed you for the day of redemption. Very simple. Don't grieve the Spirit. Okay, how? Well, Paul tells us. See, the Bible is very practical. The Bible doesn't leave you hanging. It gives you the instruction. He continues on and says this. All bitterness, anger, wrath, insult and slander must be removed from you along with all wickedness. Don't want to grieve the Spirit? Get rid of those things. Bitterness, anger, wrath, slander, all evil, wickedness. Get rid of those things from your life. But then he puts this other part on there. And, that means continue, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as in God, just as God also forgave you in Christ. There's a lot that's being made today over the word tolerate, okay? And we have to tolerate a lot of things, okay? We do. We have to tolerate a lot of stuff. We have to tolerate who people don't think like we do. We have to tolerate people who don't have a Christian worldview, the Bible that governs their life. We have to tolerate people whose theology is different. But let me tell you what the word tolerate really means. See, tolerate in the English language actually means put up with. That's what it means. Go read it sometime. I have to put up with people who don't agree with me. And, and, and I have to put up with people whose theology isn't mine. I have to put up with people who, who don't read the Word of God the way that I read. I have to tolerate them. But the problem is, we've started tolerating 
one another. We're just putting up with each other in our Christian relationships. We tolerate our marriages. We tolerate our kids. We tolerate our friendships. And God's pretty specific. I'm not supposed to just tolerate even the people that I don't agree with. I'm supposed to forgive. I'm supposed to get right. I'm supposed to seek in everything I do for God to be Lord of my life, period. And that means that I don't just put up with fellow believers in the body of Christ. I heal those things. My family. I heal those things in my marriage. I heal those things in my relationship. I allow the Word of God truly to be the authority and the evidence of life is this. I decide that Jesus Christ is the head, period. And I get right with Him. And I'm right with Him. I get right with everybody else. I don't leave it like it is. I don't just exist. I push. The head hasn't changed. The second thing the Word of God teaches us here is that as I continue to move forward is that I learn to take action. Look at verse 3. Jesus continues, I'm sorry, verse 2. Jesus continues and says, Be alert and strengthen what remains, which is about to die, for I have not found your works complete before me, my God, before my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. But if you are not alert, I will come and, like a thief, and you have no idea what hour I will come against you. Jesus Christ here basically gives the correction to this church. He's told them, here's the solution. The solution is, I'm still in charge. Don't forget that. But here's the correction. The correction is to take action. And Jesus goes through, and basically this is the only church where there's no doctrinal error. I mean, the other churches, they had some bad theology. And, and Jesus addresses that. He says, you got to get your theology right. This church, no correction. No bad theology. Some of the other churches, they had opposition. There were people who were coming against them. He says to some of them, I know that your, your church exists where Satan's throne is. There were people who were violently opposing other churches. Not so here. No opposition, no doctrinal error. Jesus is just pretty specific. He says, literally, your problem, your situation is you're resting on your reputation. You are lazy. And this church had gotten content and complacent. And so Jesus gives them a four-step correction that they're first supposed to do. The first thing he says is, be alert. And the word for alert means wake up. Okay? Pay attention. Now, I'm going to show you a video. Some of you have seen this video. I'm going to show you just a little clip of this video. And I know that as your pastor, sometimes I can get a little wound up. Okay? And I know sometimes I can get a little intense. And I know sometimes you think that I get a little personal. All right? Remember, I've never stepped on anybody's toes here where I haven't gotten mine first. Trust me. But I promise you, I'm not like this guy. All right? I want you to watch him, and I want you to understand this is not what Jesus means when he says be alert. Son, don't go to sleep while I'm talking. Hey, 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 don't, don't, don't you lay your head back. I, I'm, I'm important. I'm somebody. Now, you might do your English teacher that way, but I'm not teaching English. I'm teaching eternal life here. I love you. You know I love you. Have I convinced you I love you? Uh, yeah, you better, you better nod your head. Yeah, sorry. Come on, put it up there. You stay awake and you listen to me. You say, well, he may never come back. Well, he ain't here now. <laughs> Where have you been? 
And I know that on the calendar I'm supposed to marry y'all. What makes you think I'd marry you? You're one of the sorriest church members I had. You're not worth 15 cents. And you want me to marry you to her? And you want to marry him? And he don't even know where he belongs? And you don't even know where you belong? Now, uh, let me tell you all about here how much I love these kids. Do you know I love you, sir? Stand up, big boy. Do you know I love you? Give me a little love. I'm real deep. I'm not that bad. Okay? Just remember. Some things can get worse. All right? That's not what Jesus means when he says be alert. What he means is, is that, that we need to pay attention. And, and it's not just hearing the audible words, but it, it, it's, it's, it's equivalent to taking notes, but not just writing them down, it's applying them. It, it, when Jesus says be alert, he's saying, look, this is pertinent to life. This will help you in the practical ways. It really will. I, I didn't share this at early service, but Laurie's, you know, Laurie had that, that little accident that she had on the little scooter thing and hurt her shoulder when she was trying to get around. And, and her sister sent her a loving po po a poster that I really, I want to make a copy of this and put it in my office sometimes for people. And it says this, things happen for a reason. Sometimes the reason is that you're stupid. And you make really bad decisions, okay? Guys, we're all stupid sometimes because we don't hear the Word of God and apply it to our life. We just think it's good stuff and we don't take it for, for its applicable purposes to what we're doing. And that's exactly what Jesus says. Be alert. This applies. But then he doesn't just say be alert. The second thing he says is strengthen. And that means to give it a solid foundation, Okay, that, that I, I make it stable is literally what that word strengthen means. That it, it's not just taking in, but I stabilize it. How many of you watched the last Cowboy game? How many believe that was a catch? I'm kidding. I'm getting off track here. I'm not kidding. That was a catch, but, but that's not what I want to do. Okay. In a professional football game, there are 60 minutes of football. Okay, 60 minutes of football. If you started watching the last Cowboy game, it started at 12.05. It got through at about 3.40. Okay? So that's roughly three hours and 35 minutes that you watched that game. 60 minutes of that was actual football. So that means two, a little over two and a half hours you were bombarded with stuff from the world. If you watched just one football game, a pro game, you were bombarded with stuff. You think I preach long. Okay? Let me tell you. I don't preach that long, two and a half hours, but if, you got, if I went 45 minutes the last Cowboys game, you're in the hole on the stuff that you got bombarded with if all you're getting on Sunday morning or, or through your spiritual life is what I can give you on Sunday morning. If the only time you're showing up and the only time you're opening your Bible and the only time you're studying the Word of God is what you get here on Sunday morning, you're in the hole after watching one football game. Okay? 
Strengthen it. Stabilize it. Get into the Word of God. That's what Luke meant in the Gospel of Luke in the 6th chapter. Jesus says, story, you've heard it before, Manny built his house on the sand. I was reminded of that this week. Manny built his house on the rock, and we think it's like this. Sand's over here, rocks over here, builds on the sand, storm comes, house falls, rocks over here, build on the, the rock, storm comes, house stands. That's not what it means. Read it sometime. Luke 6.48 says, he dug. Both of them started out on sand. But this guy dug. He invested. He tried to get down to bedrock. until He kept going until he did. He made it stable. Be alert. Strengthen. Third thing that Jesus says is rehearse. He says remember. And that word for remember really means that. To go over. Make a card of a Bible verse. Go over and over and over. Go over a principle. This is what it means. This is how it applies. Rehearse the things of God in your life. And then the fourth thing that he says is to keep it. And that word there for keep is a word that means to use all military force to keep the word of God from escaping, to build a fortress around your life, to keep the things that you take in from escaping or getting away from your life. Two times in the history of the city of Sardis, the citadel, the fortress that was there to protect the city was conquered. Okay, and it was a fortress that stood up on a hill. It is. It, it was. There's still. You can still go online and see some of the, the photos of, of the fortress at Sardis. But it stood up on a hill. It was a very fortified, well fortified. But two different times in the history of the city, the citadel was captured, which means the city fell. And the reason the citadel was captured is because the sentries didn't do what they were supposed to do. They went to sleep. They were complacent. They were content. We live in a fortress, nothing's going to happen to us. It's not going to happen to us. We're not going to be that church. And Jesus says, no, you are that church. And it's time for you to wake up and to do the thing that God has called us to do. They were not being an aggressive witness to their city. And Jesus was saying, it's time to step up. Folks, this church has been here since 1880. And we, through our history, have probably built a lot of monuments. But I'm telling you, it's time for us to begin to step up. And to be an active witness for the only thing that's going to change lives in this city, in this county, in this state, which is a relationship to Jesus Christ. He's the authority. He's the head. I've got to make that determination and begin to tell people about it. And the third thing, very quickly here, is no matter where you are in this deal, don't lose hope. Look what he says in verses 4, 5, and 6. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not defiled their clothes. And they will walk with me in white because they are worthy. And the same way the victor will be dressed in white clothes and I will never erase his name from the book of life but will acknowledge his name before my Father and before his angels. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Christ uses two very practical illustrations that would have perked the ears of the people in Sardis very quickly. would have awakened them. You see, Sardis was known as a place that made these really fine woolen garments. If you wanted clothes in this day and time, you wanted clothes from the capital, the city of Sardis because they were the finest clothes that people could make. The wool was the best, the process was the best, they lasted the longest. And, and so when he said this new clothes, clothes of white, man, they would have perked up because that was the thing that they took uh, ownership of. And then he says also, your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, the, the eternal life, uh, it, it, to be a Roman citizen, your name had to be lit, written on a register. And so the moment they heard that, they would have said, wait a minute, I, I want my name written in that book. I want to know that, that I'm there. And Jesus says it's really pretty simple. One who makes my father the head, who walks in the spirit of life because that's who I am. The one who keeps doing these things, stays alert, strengthens, rehearses, and keeps. One who, who stays the course with me, he's a victor. 
And the word there for victor is really, really, it's a, it's a Greek word. It's a neat word. It's Nike. That's what it means. Nikos. You got your Nike. You got your victory. It's the swoosh that they would, they would think they would hear when, when the Greek God would come down and guarantee them the victory. You get your Nike. You get the victory. You get to walk in white clothes. And forever, your name is etched in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's what God wants for you. And here's the deal. Here's the key. Where there is life, and he says there's a little life. He says your reputations, you're way alive, but the problem is you're not way alive, you're just kind of alive. But here's the deal. You can get there from here. You can strengthen. You can wake up. You can build a foundation. You can keep. You can get there from here. There's hope. I don't care where you are today, what you're doing, where you're struggling, how you're hurting. There's hope. And the hope is found in Jesus Christ alone. He wants to give you those things. White robe. Some of you, man, you're cruising, but some of us aren't. Some of us are hurting. Okay? Some of us are are, are walking along, and, and, and the reality is we have to make a decision. He is either Christ and Lord or he's not. And he's, this is either his word or it isn't. And I will either obey it or I won't. That's it. In, out. Period. He's Lord. This is his word. We are called to obey. Period. And if I'll begin to do that in my life, there's hope. You know, there's some of us Man, we're rocking along, and the problem is we've got a 12-year-old faith. We came to faith at 12 or 10 or 9 or 15 or whatever, and right now we're 30 or 40 or 60 or 70 or 28 or 36, and, and, and the problem is the world's throwing 36-year-old problems at us, and we've got a 12-year-old faith. We didn't dig. We got saved at age 12. You bet we did. Saved as you're ever going to get. But we didn't dig. And the world is kicking our tail. And what Christ is saying, there's hope. Dig in. Stay alert. Build the foundation. Wake up. There's hope. You can get there from here. Some of us, man, we can rehearse it. We can quote it chapter and verse but when it comes to applying it to Mondays, ah, that's for the other guy. When it comes to applying it to every area of our life, even the parts we don't like, eh, that's for those really zealous people, those fanatics in the faith. No, it's for all of us to dig in, stay awake, stay alert. Apply the Word of God to everything that we do because He's the head. And here's the deal. How do I get there? Pastor, you don't know what's going on in my life. You're right, I don't. And here's the big deal. I don't care. I don't care what's going on in your life. I don't care what's going on in your marriage. Hear hear me say this all the way through. Don't cut the tape off here, all right? This is crew. I don't care... Because in the big scheme of things, grace covers all of that. 
I was, I was reading this morning, one of the guys I follow on Twitter is a guy named Jordan Neal, used to play football at Hardin-Simmons, and has been a coach, super godly Christian coach, and Jordan tweeted the deal this morning, and I read, you can't outsend grace. That's why it doesn't matter where you are. It only matters if you stay where you are and you don't do the thing that Jesus said. What's he say? He says, stay alert, strengthen, rehearse, keep, and then he throws this beautiful word, repent. And repent is a beautiful word. I know we don't hear that a lot today in our churches. And we're afraid that if we tell people they got to repent, that somehow they're going to turn off and turn away. Folks, let me tell you what the word repent means. It means think again. That's what it means. Think again. How many of you have ever heard somebody say to you, you got another think coming? Anybody, any your grandparents ever say that to you? Okay, parents ever say that? You got another think coming? You do. You can think again. You got another thing. You got another shot. As long as you're breathing, as long as you're living, God's not done. And you can think again. All you have to do is determine. He's the head. His word, I'm going to obey. Even the parts that are tough, even the parts that are hard, I'm going to obey. He's the head. I'm going to think again about his truth. and let him be Lord of my life. Keep moving forward. Don't get lazy. Don't get complacent. If you have, man, I, I'm telling you, as a pastor, there have been a lot of times in my ministry where I built a monument. And I've said, Lord, look at what I did. Look at what we did. God, it's done. Look. I just want to sit back and rest. And I get there for a couple months. But then God loves me too much to leave me there. And he says, quit building monuments. Let's go. I'm still Lord, I'm still alive, and there's still work to do. I don't know where you are, but there's hope.